0: Now, we're getting closer to Christmas, which means we're celebrating the birth of Jesus. And in the midst of the story of the birth of Jesus, we read this profound passage found in Luke chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. Let me read it to you today. It says, Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them. Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news. That will bring you great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by his sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Built into the Christmas story is this theme of great joy. It's this kind of joy that Jesus gives us when we discover who he is. And the angel knew that and was telling that to all of those who would listen about this baby that was born that can bring great joy into your life. And if what we want to do this morning is we want to learn how can we experience the joy that God has for us despite our circumstances. How can we have joy no matter what we're going through, that joy can be present just like it was in the beginning when the angel said, he has been born and you can have great joy. It's not just for them, but it's for us too. I want to tell you how you can have joy no matter what you're going through. So I want you to open your Bibles and we're going to discover this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6-9. through We're going to be there most of our time today. Now, before we get there, I want to tell you just a little bit about what joy is and what it isn't. You see, there's two different kinds of joy that we can experience. The first one, this first category of joy, is based upon our circumstances, it's based upon emotions. So, for instance, let's say you wake up in the morning and it, you, got to, you had a good night's sleep, let's say. You're feeling good, you have joy. You go downstairs and you realize that you forgot to program your coffee maker. Now you're ticked off. No more joy. But thankfully, you hit brew and everything's coming and it's quiet. You grab your cup of coffee. You spend time in the Bible. Joy. But then the kids wake up a little too early. Here they come down the steps. Joy goes away. <laughs> and then finally, uh, you get the kids ready and there's a lot of screaming again, not a lot of joy. But then the kids finally get settled. You get them ready for school. And you're starting to feel joy again. And then you try to drink that one last cup of coffee real quick and then it spills all over you and then you have to go back into your closet. You have to iron your shirt again, no more joy. And you're thinking, is this how your day is going to go? You need more joy in your life. You finally get in the car to take the kids to school. There's screaming happening, you do not have any joy. Finally the kids get out of the car, you turn on the radio. Then Mariah Carey's all I want for Christmas is you comes on. If that doesn't spark joy in you, you better take your pulse because you may be dead. I mean, that is the ultimate joy. You see, joy, it goes up and down so much, doesn't it? Watch a Browns game, and it goes up, down, up, down, up, down. Christmas time can bring a lot of joy, and it also can bring a lot of sorrow. It's based upon circumstances, based upon emotions. And most of the time when we talk about joy or happiness or gladness, we talk in terms of what our emotions are telling us or what our circumstances are leading us towards. But that's not the kind of joy we're going to talk about today. Because the Bible's definition of joy is so much different. For it's not based on circumstances. It's based on what the Lord can give all of us. Just like he wanted to give us in the birth narrative that we read. For instance, Jesus in John fifteen eleven says, I've told you these things so that you'll be filled with my joy. And then he says, this joy can overflow out of your heart In Jesus, there's joy, and then it can overflow onto others. Paul, he's talking about the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of what happens when you're connected to God in your everyday life and the results of that in your life. And he talks about these kinds of fruit, and in the midst of the fruit is joy. Joy is possible. You see, a great definition of joy that I'm hoping that you'll take away with today is this. It's a settled confidence that God is in control. Underneath of it all, it's a settled confidence that you know no matter what is happening in your life, you can be confident that the Lord is in control. Your joy doesn't have to come based on circumstances or emotions. It's based upon the Lord being in control of your life and everything happening. And I'm grateful for that because if you're like me, there are so many circumstances in life That can rob your joy. There are so many of you going through so many hard things right now. I I can see people sitting here today that I know your story. Maybe you've lost someone recently. Or you're going through some financial woes. Or you're feeling alienated by family, especially during this time. Like I said, this time can bring great joy. And for others of you, you can't wait for the holidays to go away. Maybe you've gone through a breakup recently or you don't like your job. There's so many things that you can go through in life that can rob you of your joy. But God says if he is the one that is the source of your joy, you can have a settled confidence underneath of it all that he's in control. And with that is the kind of joy that can never be taken away based upon circumstances. And that's the kind of joy that the apostle Peter talks about today. So hopefully if you your Bibles open, and let's read 1 Peter 1, 6 through 9 today. So he talks about, he says, Be truly glad. There is wonderful joy, there it is, ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These people that Peter is writing to are going through trials probably a little different than we are. They're trials where they could get killed for following Jesus. So, Although our hardships are different from them, we may be going through trials too. It may be different than what they go through, but the words still can speak to our trials as well. Peter says, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Through our fa- although our faith is much more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You love him even though you've never seen him. And though you do not see him now, you trust him and you rejoice, there it is again, with a glorious and expressible joy. The reward of trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. Now, Peter, he uses this phrase, uh, let me go, right, yeah, there it is. In the beginning, it says, so be truly glad. Now, the NIV, it talks about this a little bit differently. It says, in all, in all this, you greatly rejoice. What is he speaking about? What is he talking about that it's in this that you greatly rejoice? Well, if we go back just a little bit, right before the passage that we, we just read, he gives context to this. He says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again, because God, he raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And now we live with great expectation. And we have this priceless inheritance. An inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And though your faith, and through your faith, excuse me, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. How many of you in here like surprises? Some of you are like, let's go a little further. Not the bad kind of surprises, not when people jump out and surprise you, or the kind of surprises that all of a sudden you wake up, and this happens, you're like, I was not expecting that, and that turned out badly. But I think all of us probably like good surprises. Something that happens that you weren't expecting to happen, and then when it happened to you, it made your life better. Some of you are going to discover that when you open a Christmas gift, and there's going to be a surprise. I have a favor. This is not on topic. This is just between you and I. My wife's at the next service. I'm hoping that my surprise this Christmas is barking. I want a dog. My wife does not want a dog. My wife has won that for a long time. So I'm hoping for me under the tree as I'm unwrapping the gift, it is moving. And it's barking and there's holes in it so we could breathe. And so that's the surprise I'm hoping for. I'm probably not going to get the surprise. But maybe for some of you, you get the surprise you wanted. Or maybe for you, you weren't expecting a child to come home from college early. Or maybe the surprise for you is all of a sudden that somebody just out of the blue texted you an encouragement that really kept you going. I had that happen this past week. or Actually, last week, someone texted me encouragement. I didn't see it. It really actually lifted me up for a couple days. Those are the kind of surprises that we like. And when you read the scriptures, you can't help but see that that's how God oftentimes works. It's by surprise. It happens when you're not expecting it. And it happens to people that shouldn't be expecting it. For instance, you go to Abraham. Abraham, he worshipped idols, right? He wouldn't be the kind of guy that would be called out to start this promise from God that will carry through all to God's people. Or I think of David. What a surprise to David. He's this little boy who ends up turning into this amazing king. And though David did some terrible things, he was still known in the book of Acts as God, as a man after God's own heart. There's surprises all over the Bible. Think about Moses. Moses, he is led to lead his people. Moses was a murderer. Who would expect that? Or, of course, the narrative of Christmas. Who would think our God would be born in a manger? Or as you look at Jesus' life and Jesus is sitting next to a Samaritan woman who thought her life basically was over because socially she was an outcast. And here comes the Lord Jesus to sit next to her and give her worth and value again. The Bible is full of surprises that you don't see coming that end up being good things for us. And the Apostle Peter talks about a surprise that I didn't see coming in my life, and I'm hoping you didn't see coming in your life. What an incredible surprise it is. That by his great mercy and his grace, we've been born again. That's why in the song we sing amazing grace, how sweet the sound. It saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm fine. I was found. I was blind, but now I see. What a surprise. You go through life blind to the things of God. You go through life thinking all there is is conditional love. You go through life thinking, if I'm a good person, maybe I can get to heaven. And then you read this and you're thinking, oh my goodness, God's grace, he gifted me salvation. Through the cross and through the resurrection, Jesus gives us life, the fullest kind of life. That's why we are called to reflect upon the joy that God has given us. Joy is mine when I reflect on that. I'll be honest with you. Some of you who are like me don't have any joy because you're too busy. You're too busy to reflect upon the grace and the mercy that God has given you. We get so used to the gospel that when we actually sit down and we reflect upon the grace and the mercy that he has for us, it is overwhelming. This morning I was getting ready for our time together and I'm not just saying this because I'm some holy guy, I don't do this every weekend, but one of the things I try to do is, I try to walk in the parking lot and I just pray for you and people that are coming in before uh, people come in. And I was just reflecting on this text, reflecting on all that God has done for me and I almost just burst into tears. And I I don't always do that all the time. I'm so busy. I go from thing to thing and activity to activity. And from the morning I wake up to the morning I go to bed, I'm just so tired because I don't stop. But when I truly stop and we reflect upon the good news of Jesus, what he's done for us, and what he wants to continue to do for us, it will spring up joy in you that what Jesus says will overflow into your life. What I love about Jesus is that Joy can be mine when I reflect upon that, even in the midst of hardship. And I think for some of us here, our theology or our belief in God only goes so far. But when suffering and pain come in our life, we begin to question everything. It's as if the bottom begins to drop out of our faith. And the Apostle Peter wants us to have the opposite of that. We can have joy, the same amount of joy when life is good, is the same kind of joy you can have when life isn't good. Again, back to our text today. He says, so be truly glad. There's wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show you that your faith is genuine. You see, Peter is equating pain and suffering with genuine faith. These trials will show that your faith is genuine, and it is by being tested as fire tests purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold, When your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor to the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. I skipped this quote. I want to go back to it. Van Leeuwen puts it this way. The true test of a person's strength or mettle is adversity because anyone can truly survive good times, but it's in the hard times that you realize your faith is true and genuine or it's not. And as we look at this passage in Peter, I want to give you two disclaimers before I tell you what Peter is ultimately saying about pain and suffering. The first is this. You and I have to go back to this truth every time we experience pain and suffering, or you will not be able to discover the joy that God has for you. And the truth is this. God is love. God is love. Jesus says that God, who is love, is a great father, a way better father or a parent than any of us could ever become. And I'm telling you, as much as I love my kids, our Father loves you even more. And if you believe you love your kids in here, let me ask you this. Would you ever... Put your kids through torture or horror just to watch them suffer. No. And yet we think God does that. We think God is the one that puts us in this so we can suffer. And He's up there in heaven pointing down saying, ha ha, get through this. It's not a loving Father. He is not the God of confusion, He is not the God that's going to put you in front of a train. But he is such a good father that what you and I go through in this world that is not functioning as it ought. Because remember, it's marred by sin, marred by decay, marred by death. Jesus will come and he will bring new heaven and new earth. We talked about that last year in Revelation. But until then, it's messed up and broken. But God, he won't waste your pain. He is over that pain, which means he will use that pain for your good and his glory. He is such a good dad, just like you and I are good parents, that when something bad happens to our kid, we don't want to waste that pain. We want to teach them how that can develop their character and develop them as human beings. That's exactly what God wants to do. But if you don't have that foundation, every time something bad happens, you're just going to blame God, and he doesn't care about you, and he's just this cold God who's just up in heaven, and he's too busy for you. You see, your theology has to be that God is love and that he will not waste your pain. Peter knows that. The people he's writing to knows that. And for that, he's able to write this. And I think Peter's teaching us two things about joy in the midst of our suffering based upon that. Here's the first thing. Our troubles, they only last for a while. Now, there are some of you going through a lot of troubles right now that no matter if it lasted five minutes, it's so much that you can barely endure it. I don't want to minimize that at all. I don't want to minimize what you're going through because I can't imagine what you're going through. But I want you to know that the pain that you're going through, it won't last forever, especially when you have eternity in mind. I remember years and years ago, Francis Chan had this illustration. I'm just gonna modify it a little bit. This is a rope, obviously. And I want you, oh, but I don't want to spill all my water here, so I want you to pretend that this rope, if I stretch it all the way across the stage, do my best here. I want you to pretend that this represents eternity, okay? And <laughs> I'm not doing a good job over here. <laughs> okay, that's good. So this is eternity, and it just goes on and on and on and on and on and on all the way, okay? I want you to pretend, and I can see this, that you can't. There's a little dot right here on this rope. This dot represents your life. James says that our lives lives are merely a vapor. We're here today and gone tomorrow in God's eyes. That's what time really is. He's outside of time, and Yet we think it's just this world is all that matters and some of us live that way. But if you live in light of true eternity and you realize you're a dot on this rope, so to speak, or this dot in eternity, you can also interpret your pain like that. That you know that it's not forever. That In the eternal mindset, God, he won't waste your pain and then eventually he will redeem you from your pain and you will not have any more pain. Revelation tells us you will not cry tears anymore. You will not experience pain or death anymore because for eternity you will be with him. And if you have that eternal mindset that this isn't just all there is, there's more to it and that God is over that, then your pain, though it's still very, very hard, can still give you joy. A settled confidence that God is in control because you see the big picture even though you're just a dot on a continuum. I love what the great Billy Graham says about pain. He says it this way, when your trial comes, and if it will if you're following Christ, you will be tried and tempted and shaken. But when these trials come, act in light of eternity just know that what you're going through won't be wasted and there's an eternal God who won't waste that pain and such that he has died for that kind of pain and he will redeem your pain and he will make sure that you have incredible eternal joy for the rest of your life and that eternal joy can break into now if you have that eternal mindset. So maybe you and I need to stop just looking down at our own lives and instead look up and to see what God may be doing through that pain. Because Peter says this, our troubles refine our faith and make us stronger. There are some of you, and again, I know some of the pain you go, you've gone through. I wish I could just take that away. I don't like what you've had to go through. You wouldn't like what I've had to go through. I wish we didn't. But as we live in a broken world and pain finds all of us, God's promise is that not only will you not be in pain forever, but right now he will use your pain to make your faith the kind of faith that he wants for you. And the kind of faith that God wants for us is simply to be more like Jesus. And he uses pain to form Christ-likeness in you. James, he kind of puts it similarly to Peter here. He says, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Again, you're like, pain, joy, what in the world? But he says, you know, though, that your faith is tested. Your endurance has a chance to grow, so let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. James here is referring to what actually Peter says in the text about faith that's refined by fire. Uh, Here's a picture of of what that looks like. A refiner puts the gold into a refinery that's probably about 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit. And And you put it into this refinery, and it starts to melt. And as it melts, all of the impurities rise to the surface. And what the refiner does is he skims the impurities off the top, puts the gold back in, and continues that up-down, up-down motion until finally he can see that it's pure gold. Now, how do you know that it's actually pure gold at this point? Because the refiner can look down and see his reflection. And that's how he knows the gold is not, it is pure now, does not have impurity. Think about that with the Lord. He puts you through these, he allows you to go through these testings, these trials. You, You go through this pain and it feels like everything is being burnt off you. It's so hot and that's exactly what's happening. And he continues to put you in there and brings you out, puts you in there, brings you out until he can look at you and you know that you have gone through it and that the impurities are gone when God can look at you and see his reflection. It means that he can see Christ in you. And it took the pain of the impurities to wipe it out completely so you can be pure, not just in your life, but Peter says your whole faith, which is even more important, more valuable than gold itself. You may be going through this. God is not wasting this. There are things that you have gone through that you know that though you wish you didn't, you look back and you say, but because of that, I am who I am now. And my faith in Christ is increased and I'm stronger in the Lord than ever. And that happens when he puts you through the fire. So joy can come when you reflect upon the goodness of God, that his mercy has redeemed you. You're born again. Joy comes from that. And joy can also come in the midst of Hardship. Hardship that, yes, it feels like you're going through the fire, but God is using that to purify your faith so that you can have the ultimate kind of joy that comes when you become more like Christ. And then joy comes also when we follow Jesus. Peter, in the passage, ends this way. He says, you, you love him even though you've never seen him. And though you don't see him now, you trust him and you can rejoice with this glorious and expressible joy the reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls so peter he's talking to these people who are suffering he's like look you know jesus and he's talking about a time when jesus will return and with him you will reign with him forever and so now he's saying okay how do you live before the time or between the time jesus came and the time that jesus comes back how do you follow him practically so you can have joy i love Scott Drew if you're a college basketball fan you know that he is a coach in fact he coached Baylor's men's team to a national championship in 2021 and Scott Drew is an incredible incredible Christ follower and he talks about developing a culture of joy in the midst of this basketball team with these men because he loves Jesus and in it he says this If you put Jesus first and others second, it's like the Bible says. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, he said. If you have that order right, then life is a lot more rewarding, fulfilling, and people want to be around you a lot more. That's for sure. Find me somebody that loves Jesus and then loves people And then puts themselves third. And I will tell you one of the greatest. Kinds of people to be around. That is just full of joy. Find me someone that has the opposite. We'll call those people. (laughs) Yoj. Other way. You put yourself first. Other second. Jesus third. However you want. But if yourself is first. And hear me on this. You will be miserable. Some of you have been searching for happiness your whole life, in your career, you've been searching for it in your family, you've been searching for it in all of these things the world has to offer, and you are still miserable, and you've not found joy, and it's because you live selfishly. You can't have the joy that the Lord has for you because his joy, the way he determines it, is Jesus others yourself. As corny as that is, I think about it all the time. Jesus, others, yourself. If you get this wrong and you go backwards, it's no wonder that you're miserable and no one wants to be around you. Am I, am I right in that? Who wants to be around someone that's absorbed themselves all the time? Nobody. Nobody. But you put Jesus first and others second and yourself there. Oh, man, I want that person at birthday parties. I want that person calling me. I want that person texting me. I want that person waking me up in the morning. I mean, I want that person in my life because they have joy that comes from the Lord. You want to live a joy-filled life? Stop living for yourself. There's a camp in Pennsylvania. It's this two-week camp. It's called the greatest camp of your life. And at the end of the camp, they give an award out. You know what they get? We know what it's called? The third place award. How many of you deserve that award? Would your spouse say you deserve third place? Would your family say you deserve third place? Would your workplace say you deserve third place? Would those in your school say you deserve third place? Would those in your team say you deserve third place? Because third place is first place. In the eyes of God see joy it seems like it's very hard to get in this world but honestly it's more simple than you think because to have a settled confidence that God is in control you reflect upon how good he is and what he's done for you you realize he has a purpose in your suffering that you can still find it in there and the greatest way to have joy is to put Jesus first others second and yourself third The greatest prize in life isn't getting the gold, it's actually getting the bronze. And that's the kind of life that will give you the greatest joy that you can ever imagine. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I pray for a bunch of third place people in this room. I pray for those in this room who have just lived selfish lives, who've made it all about themselves for so long. It can change today. The easiest way is to worship you and love others the way you have loved us. And it takes care of the last part, which is ourselves, Lord Jesus. Those who are going through suffering and pain in this room, Lord, I pray that you would be close. Psalm 34, 18 says you are close to the brokenhearted. And it's in your closeness that we hear your voice saying you love us and that we can still find joy despite what we're going through. Inject joy into our lives today, Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen. Make sure to grab a bag of coffee on the way out, one per family. Give it to somebody who needs joy.